I have this quote in my mind that is begin with the end in mind. And that is that really stuck with me when we started this process, because I was going through this phase where I was a bit of a mad scientist. I was reading everything I could about scaling and building a business in the 21st century. And so I was reading books like Four Hour Work Week, Crush It by Gary Vee, um, Pat Flynn's book, Will It Fly? I was listening to every podcast I could get my hands on. And Chris and I talked and uh, we, we have this goal, like Chris said, to start in the online space and then build out to a production company. And we said, why wouldn't we make a project based around this? Because we're spending so much time researching already that we should take the knowledge and the information that we're gaining and put it into a documentary. And frankly, it also gave us an excuse to, to sit down with a lot of people that we admired and actually be able to pick their brain and take the best nuggets, boil it down and put it into the documentary. This is the Angles of Latitude podcast, session number 149 with the founders of Showhawk Media, Michael Hall and Chris Socker. This is squadron leader confirming hostiles inbound. Prepare for battle. What you're about to hear is the integration of life. Clarity is power. If you live each day as if it was your last, someday you'll most certainly be right. Liberty. We choose to go to the moon. It's happening. And all things geek. Yeah, I'm not sure I know how to answer that. Uh, you got a badass over here. Welcome to the Angles of Latitude podcast. Hey, what's up, everyone? Thank you for joining me in today for session 149 of the Angles of Latitude podcast. My name is JC Preston, and today, co host will be Harrison Painter. And we're here to bring you life lessons or a message from successful entrepreneurs, experts, athletes, and artists to help you find and execute your own personal mission and to live a lifestyle that you're proud of. And if you haven't already, I'd love for you to hit that subscribe button to get more episodes like this dropped into your podcast player or whatever you're using to hear us. In this particular session, we're chatting with Michael and Chris from Showhawk Media. You might know them better as the creatives behind the recently released documentary, Generation Freedom. And as you'll find out in the chat, these guys have been making films a good part of their lives. It's their passion to tell awesome stories. If you haven't heard of Generation Freedom, let's just say that if you're an online creative entrepreneur and you want to show others about this thing that you're doing, uh, then this is definitely a great way to share it. Uh, Not only does it feature a simple plan to get a business off the ground, but it has people uh, we, we know talking about why that particular segment is important and how they did it. Uh, some of these people include Pat Flynn, John Lee Dumas, uh, Chris Ducker, and several others. And specifically in our chat with Michael and Chris, Harris and I learned more about all kinds of things, including what get them interested in filmmaking early on in their lives, how their view of today's film market affects how they're distributing their film, and the process they've used to put the film together. If you've ever considered being a filmmaker or are one in the making, I'd definitely get ready to take notes because there's lots of insights in this conversation. But before we get into it, we want to remind you guys about Fizzle. And besides illustrating the concept of online business, Generation Freedom gives a simple plan for you to get started. But there's so much more to it. The the details are almost infinite. And that's why Corbett Barr and Chase Reeves put together Fizzle. They thought it'd be great to have all that startup knowledge in one place. And as you'll hear in a future conversation with Corbett that Veronica and I just wrapped up not too long ago, there wasn't really anything like it on the market when they created it. And I'd argue that there still isn't, at least not as comprehensive and inexpensive as their membership site is. Whether you're wanting to test the market, get better at podcasting, or simply make a better website, there's a course over there that covers what you're looking for. And there's no need to spend tons of time on YouTube trying to parse together your own solutions or buy a course on something that might not leverage your actual strengths. Because believe me, I've done both of those quite a bit. 
Uh, plus, with all the founder stories of folks like Pat, John, and Chris, as well as a great community, it's simply a great idea if you're just getting started. Uh, you can get started today free for two weeks by visiting newinceptions.com slash fizzle. Again, that's newinceptions.com slash F-I-Z-Z-L-E. All right. Before we get started, remember, you can support the show on Patreon. You can now reach that by going to patreon.com slash AOL podcast. I changed that. It is now patreon.com slash AOL podcast. Show notes and show note extras of this conversation can be found at newinceptions.com slash 149. And as usual, I'll be on after the show to fill you in on anything we might have missed. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. I'm JC Preston, and joining me once again is co-host Harrison Painter. Thank you for joining us today. What's up, man? How you been recently? Been involved with a ton of stuff. Who, me? Yeah, you. Nah. We've just been doing our thing, man. So we, uh, we're working on our monthly event. We're really excited. This month's theme is all about building a culture of success. So... We're really excited about that. You know, we, we see too many people that are failing simply because they can't get out of their own way, right? Or right. they're surrounded by people that are very toxic for them and they don't realize it. So we're on a, a hell-bent mission to really stop that from happening and get people surrounded by folks that, that actually empower them, support them, and, and will help them and also celebrate in their victories at the same time. Right. Just in the blog this past week, I actually wrote about four key principles of... Uh of building a community. And I, I, I th I'm pretty sure that that's, that vibes very well with what we're going to be talking about in our, in our local event. So looking forward to it. And we shot a little mini kind of movie yesterday. So I'm really excited to have the, the guests that we've got coming on today. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is going to be exciting. Um, yeah, definitely highlighting people, uh, who do ambitious work. You know, today's guests are a couple of guys that I actually stumbled upon, uh, not using stumble upon, but actually, uh, Michael is reached that, out. Does that still exist? Is that still around? It's st it, well, it, it's still a plug-in in my Chrome, and I still hit the button every once in a while. But I guess so. But wow. these guys, uh, our guests today, are actually the found or the, the the authors or videographers of a documentary called Generation Freedom. And if you're a digital nomad, an online entrepreneur, thought leader, uh, people in, like that then you're really going to appreciate their vid doc. Uh, basically, if you have people that are in your life who still don't know what it is that you're doing and wonder when you're going to actually have that new job, uh, this is a documentary that they have to see. Or if, they're, if they don't have the patience for it, at least you know, have it in the back of your mind as you're, you're telling people what it is that you actually do. Well, I, I need that. I, I, st I still don't know what the <laughs> heck I'm doing, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, these guys uh, are going to give me the help I need today. Right, right. <laughs> so, Generation Freedom though isn't our guest's first rodeo though. Uh, in fact, their company Showhawk was founded back in 2012. So that's what handful of years there of other projects they've been working on. And it today, was right we're after they won that Academy Award. Yeah. <laughs> today. <laughs> Today, we're speaking with Chris Soccer and Michael Hall of Showhawk Media, which can be found at showhawkmedia.com. Guys, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Great. Thanks for having us. We're doing great. Yeah, thank you so much. Really appreciate the opportunity. This is great. Michael was telling me that you guys actually grew up together uh, since you, know, you were 11, and really, film was the thing that you were always going to do. In fact, Chris, you saved up for a summer's worth of money uh, just to be able to buy your first camera. Total dedication to the craft there. And I mean, it's not something that you just really just decided, you know, a lot of online people or they just decide to do something one day and then they work on that skill for a while and then they're good at it. You guys have been building this skill set of yours for practically your entire life. Yeah. What's the draw there? Because film and storytelling, not everybody can do it that well. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think I can, from my own end, it's sort of like one of those things when I landed on it, mostly through Mike, to be honest, uh, around that age of like 11, 12, 13, just sort of that range. Uh, once I landed on it, it just didn't seem like there was anything else I would ever want to do. It just sort of fit. 
I was a huge fan of movies anyway. I was, I've always been a, an artist. I draw. So just the visual language stories, I've always liked to write. So it, it just sort of like was a convergence convergence between all the things that I liked anyway. So since then, there was just never really any reason to consider doing anything else in any serious way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And on my end, you know, I, you know, when I was growing up, I, I loved movies. Like Chris said, I, I kind of steered him in this direction because I loved acting. I loved uh, the theatrical side of it. And I would go out with my friends and we'd make these little movies. Uh, we would kind of rip off what was popular at the time, whether it was Titanic or Chris and I made a Matrix movie back 20 years ago when that was the that big was our popular first hit. thing. That was our first hit. <laughs> and it's crazy because the Matrix, as we're recording this, came out 20 years ago. So it's insane that it's been that long that we've been building this skill set. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, who here feels I know, super old now? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you my junior year of prom we actually all boycotted going to prom at least the group that i was a part of and went to go see the matrix instead that's yeah. pretty dope that's way so, more yeah dope i get than it <laughs> <laughs> it's true it's true yeah 100 percent um yeah so from my perspective it was always something that was really fun to do i've always loved business as well um i was always the kid with a lemonade stand out front <laughs> Um, so it's been the convergence of media and business for me. Um, Chris is more of the artistic guy and I'm the business guy. So it, it works really well that we can bounce off yeah. each other. For sure. You know, and then I've gone to school with a couple of guys who were drawn to film. Um, one was actually in high school. He was part of that group that I was telling you about. about. And back in um, the day, he was actually, because this was back in the 90s, he was considered the guy with the camera, so to speak. And so he and a few of our friends were, were constantly, you know, they were recording and making movies and doing this and that. But then again, and when I was at Purdue, uh, I had a friend who was there for film study. I didn't even realize that at this, at that point, and this was actually after I'd gone through engineering school that we actually had a film study department, but you know, his, his apartment was full of movies. And, and, you know, one of the things I remember him talking about was, you know, setting up for shots and having to be perfect. And, you know, it just, it just was a completely different world than I remember my, yeah. my buddy in high school. But I don't know if either one of those guys are still mm -hmm. doing anything with film. And it seems like a lot of people that go try to do what would seem to be ambitious things with their career Absolutely. tend to fall off yeah. of that trajectory. What has kept your interest in it for as long as you have? Yeah, Mike, you want to go first? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's really, it's something that I'm very passionate about, and that's what drives me with everything that I do. Um, and I have to be honest, when I first got out of college, I did not think that it was a very realistic goal, but I sat with a, uh, a college guidance counselor who uh, was talking to me about the... Uh, employment opportunities. We live in Portland, Oregon. Uh, I graduated college back in 2010. So it was pretty rough back then because that was right after the crash um, or a couple years after the crash. Right. And um, sh she told me, she was like, you know what? You don't have to be realistic right now. You should just go for it. There's not a lot of jobs out there at the moment. And this is, you're young, you know, you, you have time to figure it out. And so I, I took that opportunity to, um, I had a day job and uh, as a lifeguard, I had been a lifeguard for like five years and um, did a ton of research. I started reaching out to um, uh, different production companies in Portland and got an internship and kind of worked my way up the ladder. Um, I was lucky enough that a TV show came to town called Grimm and uh, it was a big NBC show that was shooting back in like 2011 and that was my first job like real actual job out of college. And once I actually got onto that show, I saw that there was actually a career path there. And so the passion drives me. Um, but I will be honest and say that until I saw people actually doing it, it didn't seem like a reality, at least for me. I know Chris feels a yeah. little different. Um, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I feel uh, very different about it, but, uh, yep. 
also a round of applause for Mike's guidance counselor. That's not, it's yeah, not, it's not a yeah, very seriously. typical guidance counselor thing. Uh, yeah, no, I had a very different road. Um, I went to college for only two years and they were spread apart. Um, and I kept changing my major and I was just sort of jumping around and, uh, I started doing really well in college, which is atypical for me. I was not a very good student, uh, traditionally, but I started doing really well. And, uh, I sort of realized that a lot of that had to do with the fact that I was working a lot. I had a, a, a day job at, at, in retail. And then I also through that job met a producer and got a, uh, a, quickly rose in a, in a job, a startup, a video-related startup as an editor. And that was sort of my first taste of industry job. And that was when most of my friends, Mike included, were still in school. And I ended up uh, dropping out of school. I actually had an applaudable professor who I sat down with and I got uh, advice from him on, on how, you know, whether I should drop out and chase this career option. Uh, and his advice to me, it was mostly at, framed at how I could talk to my dad about it. Um, but his advice <laughs> to me was um, that school's not going anywhere, and this job is, mm. and you need to chase down this opportunity. And ironically, uh, within about seven months of dropping out of school, that company actually folded. Uh, oh. <laughs> but. It was a big, it, well, yeah, but it worked out. It was a big, it was a confluence of things that worked out really well. Mike and I had just finished our first feature film, um, and that didn't go as well as we would, as we had hoped. Um, and that company folded within about a month of that, and I was back at my retail job. But without that, I wouldn't have had the wake-up call to quit the retail job and pursue uh, a, a film project I'd always wanted to make. Um, and mm. that really led to all kinds yeah. of growth. So yeah, for me, it's just always been pretty single-minded and I'm not as, uh, I'm not as logistically thoughtful as Mike. So I just sort of jump in and, and figure <laughs> it out. <laughs> so 10 years later, I mean, here you are, the ability to look back, what would you tell my friends or some of the people that you've known in school and whatnot and help them realize if they've gone off course that they can still do it themselves and make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think it, 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 this actually does tie into the documentary quite a bit because we live in an age where there's so many opportunities, especially with the internet. And, um, you can always go back and make something happen. Even if you're working a day job, you have our, I know people like Gary Vee or Pat Flynn talk about this quite a bit, but you always have hours after work to work on something that you're, you're proud of and that, uh, really drives your passion. And, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, there were not as many opportunities for people. And Chris feels the yeah. same way, but I, I feel like we're living in a day and age where you can really pivot in your career and really make what you want out of yeah, life. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I would say also with, with the arts in general, um, you know, short of having some debilitating physical ailment happened to you like with the arts it's not like being an athlete you can it's never too late you know you you don't max yeah. out at 35 or something like you you can you can always come back to it um it was a, it, actually a, a good side note that's related is i was just watching a, a 60 minutes interview with ricky gervais recently and i i hadn't realized that when the office came out when he came to fame when his career really started he was 40 um, yeah, and it's super true. inspiring, you know, because it's like, I think that no matter whether you're doing it and you've been on the path the whole time, uh, or whether you come to it, come back to it later, take a break, come back to it, uh, life interferes, whatever, uh, nobody ever really feels like they are where they want to be. Um, I know I yeah. haven't, uh, consistently and you, you get these little glimpses at, at various like intervals throughout your career and your work. Um, or your artistic pursuits where you sort of see like, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm on the right track. I can chase this down. But by yeah. and large, like, I don't think anybody really feels settled. Um, that's sort of part of the art of it. Um, but yeah, you can always, you can always come back to it and give yeah. it the time that it, that it requires and really establish your own process and your own, uh, vision for what you want to do. 
Well, what do you guys think yeah. of the, the the art of filmmaking today? So yeah, when, when I look at the state of Hollywood right now, it seems yeah. to oh, not man. be very creative, right? <laughs> yeah. It's very no, yeah. CGI oriented. We're remaking everything and, and yep. you know, not, not yeah. to offend any of our superhero fans, but do we really need another right. 3,000 superhero movies? Uh, I couldn't agree exactly. more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 100% on board with that. Yeah. It's really interesting and a lot is changing. I mean, you look at, uh, there's just a deal uh, where uh, Disney bought Fox and Disney is now going to own 40% of the box office, which is astounding. I mean, that the, the government might actually have to take a look yeah. into that because that is technically, you know, a yeah. monopoly. Um, but they're, they're doing that so that they can compete with Netflix. And um, they know that I actually read a statistic that Netflix only owns about 10% of the content that they have on their platform. And the reason that Disney bought Fox is so that they can create a, um, uh, a platform to actually compete competitively with Netflix where they're going to have this backlog of like 80 years right. of content and they're going to own and all Marvel it, just shut you know? down their Netflix shows which is a pretty right. big yeah, signal to they know did. is that yeah they're, exactly. they're going elsewhere yeah so uh, it's interesting to me I think uh, we always Chris and I try and keep a pulse on the business end of um, how Hollywood is shifting and I do think that we will reach a point where the the superhero movies max out but it is um, the business end of it is it's sad because it drives creative into the ground from my. But even on that point, though, you know, I was just watching um, M. Night Shyamalan's uh, Glass last night. And yeah. you want to talk about a, a movie that for like first 90 minutes, you're thinking, OK, this is going to happen just like what I'm used to. And then suddenly right. it doesn't. I don't know if yeah. you guys no, have seen no that spoilers one, yet. It, I still haven't seen not it yet. yet. Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a good one. It's it. Yeah, so. yeah. I loved his yeah, last one. It was, was so awesome. good. Oh, split, split, split was, was awesome. Great. Yeah, so great. So yeah, then, I'm very 100%. interested to know what what you guys think about Netflix because they, as a studio, originals, they are pumping out a ton of content. They are. I have very mixed yeah. feelings about. It. I mean, I, I have Netflix. I love Netflix. I, I use Netflix as yeah. much as the next uh, end user. Uh, as far as what how they're affecting the the filmmaking economy, I don't know that it's a positive. I think it's a positive for yeah. folks that are established. I think that it's a net negative for up and comers, yeah. just because. Uh, like as far as if you're looking to distribute a film, whether on your own uh, or with a distribution company, Netflix is sort of known as the very last stop because it's ubiquity yeah. and everyone has it. No one's ever going to pay for it once it's on Netflix. Um, but they also pay a term fee. So they'll basically pay you an, an upfront fee based on the demand that they foresee for your project. And that lasts for two years, three years, five years, um, so you're, you're basically never going to see any additional revenue after that. Um, and that by, mm. might be, if you didn't strategize your release properly, that might be where your film gets seen the most. Um, so I think that it's kind of a mixed bag. Yeah, for exposure, it could be great. You can also get lost in the shuffle of, of everything that's on Netflix and never see any profit beyond. Or you could blow up and you're not going to see any extra money from it. So it's kind of a mixed bag, in, in my personal opinion. And, and then what yeah. about the, the, the YouTube generation? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that's it an interesting is. one. Um, it's, uh, it's fascinating because the YouTube generation is huge. You know, you look at people like PewDiePie or, um, you know, H3H3 or these, uh, they're huge among young people. And um, they, they I actually think that they're pretty creative because they have limited budget um, and they're, their content is only based on ideas, whether they're funny or whether they're really in depth. Um, so I do think that there is something there, um, but I, it, it's tough to say. You can't really make like a scripted show and put it on YouTube because the return on investment is so right. low. It's going to have to be this very bare bones, almost like documentary style that is already out there um, because you have to get so many viewers to actually get a, uh, a return on the advertisement on YouTube. So, Chris, I don't know if you disagree with me, but that's that's I don't see that changing. No, yeah, I, I agree with you 100. percent And I think that I think the issue, like ultimately, kind of what what 
I observe and what Mike and I discuss often and what I think we're kind of discussing here is that the hard thing that we have to kind of grapple with is like how how much longer the system has changed so much in the time. I mean, when Mike and I entered the fray really in a serious way with our first feature, um, I think the year that we submitted and didn't get into Sundance for many reasons, uh, including the quality of the film, but for the, the year that we submitted to Sundance was in this about two-year curve where they went from getting you know, something like a few hundred submissions a year to multiple thousands of submissions a year due to the tools being democratized. So between then and now, we're we're also seeing the similar changes in in the marketplace and how the marketplace functions. And we've been able to kind of plot those over time. But the the real revenue places, uh, real revenue earners for filmmakers now in my opinion, especially now that Apple has, has uh, announced their streaming service, it's sort of just a matter of time. It's like, how, how much longer is it even going to be viable to make revenue on a project without being signed right. to some sort of company? And then how many companies are there going to be? You know, there's a lot of questions in the in the, in the the fold, and yeah. it might just end up functioning exactly how it did before, to be honest with you. Yeah. Well, and to Chris's point, that's why so many uh, movies actually depend on merchandising, right. because... A lot of these um, streaming platforms are driving down revenue directly from the film itself. So, you know, that's why you're getting so many superhero movies or remakes of Star Wars or prequels and sequels is because they know there's a built-in audience. They know that they can depend on those people to actually buy the toys or the merchandise and properties. um, That's an effect. Exactly. And that's an effect of these streaming. So it's not a lot different than what, if you guys are familiar with what happened with Hanna-Barbera. Right. They, they kind of owned the cartoon yeah. world, the Saturday morning world. And right. then all the other cartoons came in with toys, with, you know, branded items that kids could buy. Right. And then they just took over the market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yep. It's the yep. same thing. Absolutely. So let's shift gears here a little bit and let's talk about show Hawk media. Yes. Yeah. So generation freedom, there's a guide yeah. in how people can start their business. It starts with passion and ends with growth. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that model, how it applies to Showhawk and, and w- what you guys are doing, what you're up to and, and what you're trying to promote out there with this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, I'll start off. I think Michael have more substantial stuff to say on this. So I'll just throw in my two cents and then <laughs> give him the reins. <laughs> but uh, I think the foundation of Showhawk really began uh, as how can how can Mike and I build sort of the the production company that we always wanted to build? What is the contemporary model for executing on that? And at the time that we were really tossing this around, Mike was getting super into uh, the online business world. People like Pat Flynn, a lot of the people that we ultimately ended up interviewing for the documentary. And w- the conclusion that we essentially came to was let's let's start as an online brand and then scale up to a production company. And that's really the the mm, kickoff yeah. point. And then Mike, you should probably take it from there because you have more to say. Yeah, no, it's um, I don't know. There, I have this quote in my mind that is begin with the end in mind, and that is that really stuck with me when we started this process because. I was going through this phase where I was a bit of a mad scientist. I was reading everything I could about scaling and building a business in the 21st century. And so I was reading books like Four Hour Work Week, Crush It by Gary Vee, Pat Flynn's book, Will It Fly. I was listening to every podcast I could get my hands on. And Chris and I talked and we, we have this goal, like Chris said, to start in the online space and then build out to a production company. And we said, why you know, why wouldn't we make a project based around this? Because we're spending so much time researching already that we should take the knowledge and the information that we're gaining and put it into a documentary. Yep. Um, and frankly, it also gave us an excuse to, to sit down with a lot of people that we right. admired and actually be able to pick their brain and take the best nuggets, boil it down and put it into the documentary. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, so how, how did you guys distribute this and and get it out and get? 
yeah. you know, through, you know, I know a lot of people right now are making a lot of content. So, you know, on, on one yeah. hand, we have, we have an amazing market where anybody can create now and it's affordable to do so. And right. it's much easier than it's right. ever been. But on the negative side of that same issue is we have so much content coming out, so <laughs> yeah. much noise happening yeah. and, and honestly, a lot of bad stuff coming out too. So how do you kind of get the yeah. signal through the noise with all that? Yeah, I think that we have this, we have a different approach than a lot of, um, like the YouTube generation puts out a ton of content that's not necessarily the best, but they're, they're churning it out all the time. And we have a much different approach where we want to focus on the minimum viable audience. We want to go to the people that we know are really going to resonate with this one film that we put three years of work right. into. And, um, so we are, honing in on those communities that we know uh, where our target audience hangs out. And we're actually, right now we have an interesting distribution model where at the moment we're only selling it through our website. So we're only selling it through um, Gumroad is the platform that we're using. And the reason for that is kind of piggybacking on what Chris said earlier about Netflix being the very last stop. Um, so we're, we're thinking of selling it off of our website as kind of our theatrical release. We are going to do some um, small theaters eventually. And then we're going to work our way down into iTunes and then Hulu and then eventually probably on a streaming service like Netflix. Mm -hmm. um, and so the reason that we're doing that is because at the moment, while the project is still really fresh and we're able to get it out there, that's where uh, selling it directly off our website through something like Gumroad is where we're going to make the most amount of profit. Um, so, Chris, I know you probably have some thoughts on that as well. Yeah, no, but, I mean, I think you, know, you encapsulated That's, that's the general it. Yeah, I don't, I don't really have a whole yeah. lot to add. The only thing that I would add uh, with relation to the sort of glut of content, I guess, in the content, that's an ugly word, but the glut of content in the in the content marketplace right now and how Mike had said that we... We're taking a slightly different approach. Uh, a lot of it, too, kind of comes down to this is somewhat of a new approach for us, um, really tailoring a project like this. I mean, it's not new for us to, to approach a project that, you know, we both care quite a bit about um, that will be uh, educational for us and of interest to us and will sustain us for those three years. Uh, but it, it is sort of new to kind of, figure out how to translate that to the audience that would also be interested in it. And I think that in some sense, the crafting of this project was a far more collaborative process than any before. We really worked together to refine it to ensure that if we're going to focus on the minimal, minimum viable audience um, for three years and, and really sink all of our time into this, this film that it be the best film that it absolutely can be um, and not just feel like another piece of content that's floating. So that I think that, that that was something that I was pretty heavily focused on. What's our different vantage point? What's our different view? What's something new that we can bring that makes it not just another business documentary or, you know, like Gary V has really high quality documentary style content every day on YouTube. What can yeah. we do that's creatively, that's vis visually, auditorily, that's uh, create just artistically a different experience that would immerse a user or a viewer in a, in a different way? So I think that's the only thing I would add. So let me ask you this question. Uh, you know, I, I know a lot of artists and a lot of, of guys making films and whatnot, and sometimes they're their own worst enemy in that they're artists. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And... 100%. Then when I asked him, I said, hey, will you do kind of this corporate talking head video for me or kind of shoot, you know, you, yeah. you can make money doing this. They, they seem very hesitant or they won't do it at all, but then they'll complain that they're not making any money. Yeah, just call so, us. Yeah. That, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I would like for you guys to talk a little bit about that, that, that your art, I would assume that your art is probably not making you guys millionaires at this point. Uh, so right. I, I, what advice and how are you guys doing it from a business model standpoint to generate revenue? So that way you can fund the stuff that you truly love to do the most. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think, I mean, we're, we're pretty, to some extent, we're pretty diversified. Wouldn't you say Mike? Yeah. I mean, I was talking to JC about this a little earlier, but I am the type of person I have the brain where I like to, um, 
I like to diversify my income as much as possible. Um, so we'll work on creative projects uh, or uh, commercial projects within Showhawk. We'll work on commercial projects outside of Showhawk independently of each other. And then we will work on, you know, something like a documentary where we sell um, an actual physical good. Um, so uh, Showhawk is and our incomes are fairly diversified at this point. Um, and beyond that, uh, I do things like I have an Airbnb. Um, I have, um, you know, a, a lot of different ways that I generate income just because I don't want to I don't want to rely on on one thing and then have it fall through, you know? Right. Um, so that's my mindset. Yeah. Um, yeah, my, my main yeah. bread and butter is I actually do those talking heads, industrial videos. I do, um, uh, educational content, uh, industry, educational content, uh, video and audio. So we produce video and podcasts, um, for the power industry. And then also I've got yeah. two freelance gigs that I'm working right now. Uh, and I'm wrapping up another feature film that I actually began before we started uh, Generation Freedom that I put on hold to uh, to finish up Generation Freedom to deadline that we had locked off. So I've got a few other projects in the works as well. Um, <laughs> and some of those will go out under the Showhawk banner. Some of them are just client work where uh, they will yeah. be labeled for that client. That's that client's work to use. The main thing that I would throw in the mix, though, as um, as the... I, I suffered that delusion for a really... For, well, I feel a really long time of, you know, I am an artist and blah, blah, blah. It's just the highfalutin mentality of, you know, I'm above... Uh, I'm above certain work and to an ex to a certain extent I, I think that you should defend an artist should defend aspects of that because you don't want to go to the point where you're completely compromising anything that makes you unique and gives you a unique angle on the market um, if you want to put it in those crude terms uh, like again I think it relates back to what I was saying about the documentary w what is your unique angle on something what makes you you know uh, worth looking at what separates you from all the host of content out there so to a certain extent you need to defend that but at the same time it's like uh, there was a point a tipping point where I was like I'm not making any money sticking to these principles <laughs> I'm not able to support myself yeah. I'm not able to support my the my life that I that I, not not just like the life I want but like a, a life you know um, and at a certain point I kind of had to come to the conclusion of like if I can't work a client project and bring something unique to it that makes it special then what good do I have if I can't be creative in a in an environment where I'm not you know, fully in control of the message, then what 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 good do I really bring to this world, right? So it's really for me, it's right. a matter of reframing the the context with which you use to view what you're approaching. It's like it, if you don't if you don't feel like you can unleash the hounds and really do neat stuff and and explore. Uh, find a way to fall in love with everything that you're doing, then maybe you really don't love what you're doing. You know, I know that sounds a bit harsh and maybe it's a bit uh, a, a bit harsh on certain people, but that's really how I feel about it, to be honest. Mm. Powerful. Powerful. Yeah. Um, let's let's yeah. uh, take a step back, though, and before we get um, too far down that, yeah. that path that Harrison <laughs> was giving you guys, um, let's talk about the process of making a documentary. You were talking about how having these connections to the people that inspired you allowed you to come up with the product that you ended up making. Um, yeah. and I've heard some similar things, uh, back in session 66, uh, there was a, a, a kid really. I mean, he was in high school. He did his first documentary and it was uh, about gun control and why people need to pay attention to the topic. And he, he didn't know really anything going in. And as yeah. he started talking to people, you know, obviously he had his own perspective and of what it meant, but the pieces fell into place. His dad was helping him. I don't know how, I don't remember exactly how connected his dad was, but it worked out for him. And I, the first question I have to ask you about the, the entire process is what is your process? Did you like focus on making a story? first and yeah. then finding the pieces to fill in that story or did you talk to the people and see what they're all saying that you can kind of put into a story afterwards or what was that process like it's kind of yeah. both <laughs> yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I will say that um, we actually did sit down before we began reaching out to anyone for this project, and we did do a whiteboard of what we wanted the the end result to look like. So, um, a bit of a story arc, but we we knew that was fairly loose because once you sit down and actually talk to people, that's going to shift. Right. And so um, we we did the storyboard or, or we did the whiteboard and we talked about it and we came up with a really nice concept that is slightly different than what we ended up with. Mm-hmm. Um, and we knew that the folks that we wanted to reach out to are extremely busy. They don't have a ton of time. Right. And so our our process was actually to create a short video explaining how we were going to approach the project and essentially pitch everyone Mm. um, to be involved with the project. Mm. And so we did that. I think we ended up with about a four or five minute pitch video, uh, basically walking our, our our potential interviewees through how we saw the project come to life. And that's how we began reaching out to people. Sorry, Um, I'm just going to cut in really quick, but it also doubled as a mm -hmm. proof of abilities, right? So we did it in, we, we crafted it uh, in such a way that proved that, hey, we're legit. We know what we're doing. You know, um, yeah. that helps. Yeah. It actually showed off our work. It showed that we were passionate about it and that we have a high bar. We have a, a, a high quality bar. And um, that is actually what really resonated with all of the folks that we reached out to because, frankly, none of them had ever heard of us before. Um, and so that credibility really helped. It showed that we were serious about it, um, that we were good at what we do. Mm -hmm. And that's what initially got people on board. Um, as I said earlier, it was about a three year process. Um, and we are, are the first big name that we actually sat down with was Pat Flynn and Pat didn't actually sign on or he didn't uh, agree to do the project until about a year after we, came up with the concept. Um, we, we reached out to him with a pitch video about six months before. Mm-hmm. And he said, project sounds great. I'd love to be involved, but I'm super booked for the next six months. So you guys are going to have to wait. And um, in that, in that time between pitching him and actually interviewing him, we started building up um, our case studies and sitting down with other people in the space. And so then once we actually got to interview Pat, we had we already had a, a nice bank of interviews, and from there we were almost able to uh, to scale up. And the amount of interviews that we were able to get after Pat really started to right. snowball mm-hmm. because we were able to actually cut together um, a short trailer of of the project and then show it to other future potential oh, interviewees okay. along with our pitch video. Right. Yeah. So it, it kind of snowballed yeah. from there. Okay. And uh, as far as like the, the actually Mike, we should probably talk about the, uh, the conference. That was a pretty cool craft um, yeah. moment. Yeah. hundred uh, percent. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. You go ahead. Actually you take that. Well, yeah. So uh, I'm sure you guys have heard of the, uh, social media marketing, um, world conference that happens i mm-hmm. think it's every february or march yeah, san diego, right. Right. San diego. Yeah. yeah exactly and so um we've been working on the project for about a year and um i i actually for some of my commercial work i have a contract with adidas and so i actually got this idea while i was working at adidas because what we will do is we'll try and piggyback um shoots with athletes or entertainers um on the back of either a conference or something that they're already doing Mm -hmm. so we don't it's essentially batching um doing a ton of work with someone in a short amount of time right and so um i got the idea you know there's a conference happening in three months there's all these speakers that are going to be there so let's just get a hotel room a conference room and see who we can get um, I'm sure they'll have a little downtime and that way we're not having to set up a specific time with them where we travel to them. They're going to come to us cause they're already at the conference. Mm-hmm. So that was a nice little hack, uh, where we batched a ton of interviews in about two days. It was 
it was pretty intense because I think we did. <laughs> it was very yeah. stressful, but um, fun. By, by that, yeah. by that time, yeah. did you already have that promo video that you were yeah. talking we about? Okay. Yeah, we did. So we were able to. We actually uh, were able to get a few people who initially said no um, by showing them the proof of concept, the um, the pitch video, and then actually saying, "Hey, we have this conference room. If you have a little downtime, you know, come sit with us for half an hour or an hour." And, um, and you know, it, it worked really well. It was very mm-hmm. nice. Cool. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, sorry, I'll just throw in too. You were talking, you were asking about the structuring and the craft. So yeah, we started with that structured document and based on that structured document too, um, that's how we sort of structured our initial questions that we would ask our interviewees so that they would actually play out kind of in the order that we had envisioned the movie would 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 go, and of course things get moved around okay. later on down the line. But that was another sort of strategy to make sure that there was some like linear structure to all the different interview questions that right. we were that we were giving. And over time, you know, we 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 wouldn't really ask anyone the same questions that we asked somebody else. They would they would evolve, and you know what what we felt we were missing some you know things that we weren't getting from other that we didn't have from other interviews that we felt we needed to get for our structure that we had ironed out. Yeah, uh, we would refine the questions essentially for for each interview that we had. So by the end, we had a pretty we had our bases pretty well covered, and then it was sort of a matter of just uh, con- consolidating all of that down into um into yeah. a, a usable cut and then organizing it uh for a final organization pass uh, which would be the the stages that we outline actually in the in the film that you mentioned before that came pretty late in the game gotcha yeah. gotcha do you guys have any plans on going to uh flincon or anything like that coming up mm. not uh flincon not yeah. this year but we're really we're starting to look into some conferences yeah. we we would love to um actually try and get the movie at some conferences maybe yeah. after um after some speakers are done or something like that so yeah, something good. we're definitely yeah we're looking into for the next year cool. um that's uh that's on our radar yeah. cool so so in your documentary generation freedom the final stage is grow yeah so yeah. where do you guys see yourselves going in the next year or so with what you're doing hmm. and uh just yeah. where do you guys see the growth with with all the projects yeah yeah um, well, we, we are very interested in, in staying with documentary, at least for the next couple years. Um, we are building an audience, specifically an email list, um, with Generation Freedom. And we do see not necessarily sequels, but almost, um, like a cousin documentary where we know the audience is going to be interested in the next project. So we're not completely building a new audience from scratch every single time. Um, but Chris, um, do you want to expand on that yeah, a little I bit? Mean, that's definitely true. As Mike said, I believe Mike said earlier, you know, there are parts of Showhawk that we do together. There's parts of Showhawk that we do separately. I know that uh, the documentary component, absolutely. We, we are on the hunt for that cousin documentary. Uh, kind of as we speak, we always kind of come up with these little ideas and toss them back and forth. Um, and then I would like to continue pursuing doing my other film that is coming out is actually, uh, it's a fiction film, um, like a dark comedy. So I would like to continue uh, pursuing, pursuing film endeavors like that. that are fiction, probably pretty small scale. Um, I'd like to actually continue backpedaling and scale down even further and just see how small of a movie I can actually make. So there's little things like that. Um, but yeah, as far as, uh, Showhawk, uh, specifically as well, having tailored content that goes along with those productions, um, is, yeah. is a pretty important component. Yeah. And that's sort of been something that we've been doing from the outset. It's like, it's not just... There's a whole host of educational topics on Showhawk. There's career stuff. There's also just production stuff and how do you start from nothing and, and sort of build something, um, be it a film or, or yeah. a career. Right. Like, for example, the guy that was talking about uh, his furniture, right, and mm-hmm. how he was yeah. piecing yeah. it together. Right. Like, you, exactly. got, you guys could totally use his approach to, to doing it. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Uh, Yeah. And it is, it is interesting too, because if you look around sort of our space where Showhawk fits into the internet, uh, 
it is interesting. There's a lot. There's a lot more people doing it now than were when we started. And you know, we know some of these folks. They're really cool, and they do really good work. Um, and it's uh, maybe more than other spaces. It seems to be a very supportive space, like a mutually supportive space. Um, so the question that I'm constantly going over, and I think Mike is going over too, is like, what what new thing? Like, what what <laughs> what's not being covered that we can cover, and how can we cover it uh, in a unique way? Right. So that's yeah. yeah. What's the, what's the different angle that we can take right. on that? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Yeah. So as we're closing up here, rapid fire questions segment. First question is actually one that Harrison tailored, but I'm going to ask awesome. it. Uh, if you could add one song, one book, and one film to the national curriculum, what oh, would those man. be? Oh, one song, man, one book, good. one film, you say? Do they yeah. have to be American? Hopefully English. Yeah, but yeah. Not necessarily <laughs> okay. American. I should have been yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, man, I'm going to have to think about that for a second. Yeah, that is a great question. Oh, man. One book, one movie... God, I feel like I just like tweeted something like this. Like, this should be added to the national curriculum, and now I can't. And now I can't think of it. Of it. Um, oh man. Yeah, I would say. I don't know, man. For some reason, the one that jumps to mind is "Happiness Is a Warm Gun" by the Beatles. Mm. Just because That's it's. Good. The level of complexity is pretty astounding, and the fact that they, I think they recorded it something like 130 times live, all of them, just to get it right. Um, it's a pretty, but it comes off so seamlessly. I don't know, I'm probably going to regret saying that later, but I think that's my go-to right now. <laughs> that's not something you hear every day. <laughs> yeah, there you hmm. go. Book. Um, one book. Hmm. I mean, for me personally, I think that there needs to be more financially literate people in the United <laughs> States. Um, yeah, so I would have to say it would be a financial book, but there's so many good ones that I, I need to think on that a little bit. Um, I mean... The Richest I, Man in Babylon. Yeah, that is a great book. That is a really great book. I do love um, Rich Dad, yep. Poor Dad. That's a fantastic book. Um yeah, the richest man in Babylon is is fantastic. I might have to agree with you yeah, on that. I, I whatever would make a for a more financially literate populace, I'm on board with totally. Yeah. yeah. So movie. movie. Oh yep. man. Yeah. Um, I think that for me, I don't even know if I could pick one. I mean, the one that I always continue to go back to as like a true American treasure. Mike, you might agree with me on this. We don't always agree on movies, yeah. but you might agree with me on this. Uh, yeah. I would say Raging Bull is a pretty important movie. Um, yeah. Just from a craft perspective and the story and the storytelling. And I think it's an important movie for young men to watch specifically. Mm -hmm. But Mike, what do you think? Um... Man, Matrix sounded like it's stuck in your mind. Oh god, I, I do love That's the Matrix. Awesome. I, I I did just watch it this week. I will say did that. I. Um, I have to go with a documentary though. Mm. Um, The Fog of War is a movie that's stuck in my head for a long time. I'm not sure if you guys it's have seen one. it, but it um it's a it's a great one. It, it talks about um specifically the Vietnam War and the effects it had on America and and the countries around the world. And it's just a really interesting in-depth look at, um, almost, you know, the machine that is, and, um, you know, it, it's, it shows the pros and cons and it's very, it feels very even handed, which I think is, um, you know, it, it is a good thing to present in a documentary. You need to present all the facts and, um, yeah. That that's that would be yeah. my answer. Uh, yeah, and I have good. to throw something into the mix here. Have you guys ever seen that short? Yeah. It won the the short, best short of the year in 2010. The plastic bag. Short. Yeah, man. With the where Werner yeah. Herzog is the voice of the bag. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's awesome. great. I love it. I love it's Herzog so too. I love it. Yeah, he's yeah. fantastic. Absolutely. So yes, anybody listening to this, if you've never seen it, Google plastic bag movie or 
the gentleman's name is uh, uh, Raman Barani, I think. Is that how you pronounce it? Maybe the filmmaker. Uh, but if you just Google plastic bag movie, it'll it'll pop up. It's it's incredible. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. So, uh, yeah. who's your favorite filmmaker? Uh, today, uh, <laughs> I would have to say uh, I'll go with Scorsese just because I said Raging Bull. But the list is <laughs> extremely long. Actually, uh, one thing that we've been doing on uh, on Showhawk uh, on our email list is we've been sending out. Uh, it's sort of our version of like a four bullet Fridays where we send out links, uh, nerdy film stuff, some skill stuff, some business stuff for film uh, related, and then also a movie of the week. Uh, so I'm sort of in this pretty scattered headspace with films right now, trying to remember all yeah. the different films and filmmakers that I would recommend. So I'll just settle with yeah. Scorsese for the moment. Yeah, I'm a huge Tarantino fan. I got to be honest, like anything he comes out with. I know everything, all his movies are fairly violent, but um, barely. <laughs> yeah, fairly. Yeah. But his, um, you know, his approach to films is is interesting. He's got a unique perspective. I like his eye. So mm. that's who I'd throw in there. Mm. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. What issue do you believe people ought to be talking about yet hardly one is? Hmm. That's interesting. I mean, for me, it comes, I, I, I'm a big believer in financial literacy in the United States. That's, I mean, some people talk about it, but I think that it needs to be included more often in education. Um, you know, so many people are in debt in the United States and it's a huge problem. It's a huge problem for the younger generation who has so much college debt um, and I think that if you started talking about it at, at an earlier age, I, I, I don't think that we would have, um, such a big problem personally. That's a great answer. I agree with that too. Uh, the thing that I would say is critical internet use, I think is un mm -hmm. undertaught and underlearned by both adults and young people, the ability to filter information yourself on the internet, the inability to do mm -hmm. that is causing an inordinate amount of problems, not just society-wide, but globally. And uh, I think we're seeing some retrograde uh, some retrograde thinking, which is ironic because yeah. we have all the, all the information known to humanity <laughs> in front of us. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I, I think that if I, could, if I could submit one thing, it would be that. Yeah, they're just, they're just I mean, the technology came online, huh? <laughs> Use a, yeah. so quickly. Yeah that people just weren't really taught how to filter it. And yeah, no, it's true, totally. Yeah. For sure. I'd like yeah. to be positive and Very think true. that this is just the learning curve, uh, but it would be great to be able to expedite it. <laughs> yeah. Name one thing that costs under a hundred dollars that has changed your life. Mm. I have to say those external, <laughs> this is going to sound so stupid, but external chargers for your phone uh, I'm on set for like 12 hours a day sometimes and my phone dies so fast and I need it for everything. And so that has changed my life quite literally. I, I use it every day. Yeah. I would say there is an app that I've been using a lot that I actually shot quite a bit of the, the footage for generation freedom on, uh, called filmic pro and i keep buying little upgrades to it um and it's pretty incredible it's definitely changed my life it's definitely made me feel like a 13 year old with my first camera again it's like a whole new world yeah. hey i have to jump in here for a second since you said that what can you talk just really quickly about some of the equipment that you use or equipment that you yeah. recommend for younger or up-and-coming filmmakers yeah, definitely. Um, it is kind of hard with cameras because the equipment is constantly evolving so quickly. The uh, Even resolution demands are, are changing so fast that it's... I wouldn't want to set anything in stone necessarily, but I would say that um, anything, especially for startup documentarians, uh, it's hard to get any better than the DSLRs, uh, Canon makes great DSLRs, uh, Sony is making great DSLRs. Uh, I shot 
to the two separate films I shot, Generation Freedom and my other film that I'm wrapping up, Counterintelligence, was shot on two separate DSLRs. Generation Freedom was shot in 10K or a 1080p, pardon me, and the sec the other film was shot in 4K. Um, so the the capabilities are pretty astounding. The lens selection, I think, is what really makes that uh, really makes that a beneficial entry point and they're typically like you can get a good one you can get a good one for under a thousand to be honest but you can get uh really great ones for under five which is you can't really there's nothing to really compare there also i would say keep an eye on on uh iphone photography as well um there's some pretty amazing revelations in that department and then as far as uh, post-production, I would say we, I cut on Final Cut X, um, which is now just starting to be seen as, as a viable professional piece of software. Many years after its release, it got trashed pretty hard, but people are starting to come back to it. Uh, and I've stuck with it all the way, and I love it, and I swear by it. Um, for audio work, Logic Pro X, and for any extra like titling, uh, graphics, things like that. You can go through motion, Apple motion. You can go through after effects. Those are all great starting points and you can get moving with that stuff for well under a thousand dollars. Um, usually you can get, you can really get moving for under 500. So that would be my, my suggestion tech wise. Mm. Okay. Well, uh, final question. What's the secret to achieving personal freedom? It's mm. a great question. Um, honestly, I, I this this sounds like such a, a stock answer, but it's pursuing your passion. You know, it, you need to be realistic with it. But if you're passionate about something and you are able to make it into a viable business and you, you're enjoying every single day, that to me, that's how I define freedom. Um, it, it's, I, I go to work every day, very happy. And, um, I, I, it, it, I, I just feel very free every single day. Mm. Yeah. I think that's a great, that's a great answer. The only thing that I can really add to that, that has been beneficial for me is sort of accepting that that journey to personal freedom is probably a lifelong journey and you may never wholly just like Art, artistic pursuits you may never wholly feel like you have it uh there's always going to be something that you need to do um but just sort of accepting the the journey is where the beauty is mm. i think is mm. the art love, love it cool yeah all right well guys thank you again so much for spending some time with us today uh time flew yeah. by quite yeah. a bit again you can be found on showhawk.com spelled yeah. s-h-o H A W K dot com. Mm -hmm. Where can people find you on the socials? Yeah, I'm at a uh, Mike Hall Proper on uh, Instagram. Uh, same with uh, with Twitter and Chris. What are yours uh, again? On Instagram, I am at Lebanezer Scrooge with E E Z E R <laughs> Scrooge. Uh, and on Twitter, I am at a day of bus. A day of bus. Um, and one one real quick thing, we actually um, we wanted to share with your audience. We did put some um, behind the scenes, and um, we we distilled down some uh, some of the scenes from the documentary that they can check out for free at genfreedom.com backslash aol. Awesome. So thank you again, guys, for uh, being on, and uh, total pleasure. Thank you so much for having yeah, us. Really, really appreciate it. Great, really appreciate it. This was awesome, right. guys. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, of course. So there you guys have it. I have to admit, really enjoy this interview with Chris and Mike. I appreciate their love and enthusiasm for their craft and their work. Uh, for you to get a better feel for their work, in particular, I have a few show note extra videos that I think do a a good job of illustrating their talent and why. They do what they do. And in the first one, there is a short trailer for Generation Freedom. And if you didn't know too much about the Vidoc and kind of want to get a, a feel for it by seeing the, the, a trailer, I recommend you check it out. Uh, then I have a short video where the guys talk about what Showhawk is all about. And this one 
This one I think you could probably share to others if you know someone who is wanting help with uh, getting a film made. And after that, I have a short little promo video that they did for the Whiskey Fest Northwest uh, Festival. I uh, just love the feel of it. And if it was an actual show, I'd, I'd probably watch it. They did such a great job with the cinematography of that short little promo. And finally, I have the first episode of their podcast series called Make This Movie. Uh, this series does a great job of documenting the journey of producing one of their past pieces of work called Counterintelligence. So be sure to check those out via the show notes at newinceptions.com slash 149. And guys, that's pretty much it for this particular session. Remember, if you're curious how others have done and are doing amazing work in their online business, check out Fizzle. They have plenty of courses to help you get started for a great monthly price. Again, you can get started for free today for two weeks by going to newinceptions.com slash fizzle. Again, that's newinceptions.com dot com slash fizzle thank you for spending a little bit of time with chris mike harrison and me today always appreciate having you guys here and spend a little bit of time with us and until next session dig in have fun and take care in whatever you're creating and we'll see you back here next time thanks for listening to the angles of latitude podcast connect with us at home at work or on the go at facebook.com slash new inceptions on twitter at new inceptions instagram at new dot inceptions and on the web at newinceptions.com.